up? What up? Jimmy Murray here with Frank Petalano, and we are the Cashflow Kings. The Cashflow Kings podcast discusses money, finance, mindset, and investing with an emphasis on cash flowing real estate. Thanks for joining the Cashflow Kings, and welcome to our new episode College Town Investing in Hot Markets with Ryan Shaw. Did I pronounce that right, Ryan? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, guys, we're excited to have Ryan here. Um, Ryan's about to share a story about how he's a sounds like a nine to five warrior as a pharmacist, but then also, you know, building a sizable rental portfolio. So Ryan, welcome. Thanks, Jim. And thanks, Frank. And I'm honored to be on the podcast. Yeah. Fortunate to have you here. So, um, sounds like you went to school for pharmacy, came out, you're grounded out, you know, five plus days a week. How do you, how do you decide, Hey, from pharmacy to move into real estate? Yeah. You know, my grandpa actually bought a couple of properties in the Bay area, and they went up in value like crazy. Rents went up and he was able to not only cover his expenses, but help pay for part of my college tuition and that of my brothers as well. So I realized that real estate is one of the best ways to create generational wealth. And I wanted to get started as soon as possible. So I worked overtime. I worked two jobs, 14 hours a week. Basically, I would take double shifts and all that to save up enough um, money to basically buy as much real estate as I can. So I just started with one single family home to see how it went um, in my local college town where I went to college uh, during pharmacy school. And I rented out by the room and was able to add in extra bedrooms. And every time I can add in an extra bedroom, it's another $600 to $700 in rent. So if I can add like two extra bedrooms and make it a five-bedroom house instead of a three-bedroom house, for instance, that would add an additional $1,200 in cash flow. Um, And it would be making overall like 600 times five is $3,000. And if I could get the sixth one in, that's like $3,600. Huge pickup. Mm -hmm. So right now, I actually, over the course of five years, I built up my portfolio just on the side while still working my full time job. And I think it's possible for anyone, um, to be honest, as long as you build up your team along the way. And now I have six uh, single family homes and 29 tenants that's making $17,580 per month in rental income. So that's gross income. That's gross income. Yeah. Nets about six thousand, um, but I plan to pay off a couple of them, which will bring my cash flow to around nine thousand next year. So let's, I mean, let's be honest, though, six thousand is nothing to shake a stick at in net yeah. income, right? I mean, that's yeah. the average person's full time job, right? Yeah. Exactly, a thousand dollars per building, essentially net. Like people would die for that, right? Um, I guess my big question is, where are you, where are you actively investing? Like, what location? So I invest in where my pharmacy school is at in Stockton, California. And I also invest in Sacramento. So right, the sixth property I purchased, I used equity from my previous properties. So I didn't have to take out cash from my own pocket. And I basically did a house hack. So I'm living in the master bedroom. I have five other roommates and my rental income is $3,650 while my mortgage is only $2,300. And that includes property taxes and insurance. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I appreciate it. A true house hack. And what's cool for us, I mean, we haven't had enough people on that are talking about single family investing. In our market, there's not many people doing that. Most people are trying to do the multifamily investing game. So this is just a whole different perspective that we love to hear about. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's basically taking a single family home and repurposing it. And it's a win-win situation for everyone. I, I consider it um, something called a blue ocean market, which means it's like untapped market. So basically, the students are paying half the prices on campus housing. They're paying like $600 a month versus like $1,200 a month. They're getting a lot more privacy. Um, they also have, you know, a backyard, garage, some living space and a kitchen and everything, which you might not get at the on-campus dormitories. So it makes sense for a lot of students. And the closer I can get to uh, school, the higher uh, premium and rent that I could charge. So I, I raised my prices this year because of inflation. So I'm charging around, I would say, 670 to 730 range right now per bedroom. And, and what does that include? I would assume it includes utilities, but do you take care of any like common air cleaning, anything else? Like what? Oh, that's a great question. I actually don't include utilities and I don't recommend it because some students could overuse the AC or abuse the AC. And I had that happen during summer where they weren't paying their own bills. So they would just crank up the AC even while they're at school, they would forget to turn it off. <clears throat> so since yeah. they pay their own bills, now they're incentivized to go ahead and save on energy and lower their energy bills. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, utilities aren't included in that. And they also get like one common area. I find that students really don't need that much common space, like a, a family room and a living room. That's for like a single family. But if you have kids, all you need is one area for studying, dining, all that type of stuff. Because for the most part, they're either at school or they're in the room studying. Got it. What about internet? <laughs> stuff like that, that's included? Ryan, is internet included, that kind of stuff, cable? Oh, no. Yeah, so internet's not included in that um, as well. So they pay their own utilities. They pay uh, gas, electric, internet, water, and garbage. So do you find in your buildings, because I guess the internet would be the big one for me, do you find in your buildings that there's one internet provider and then you either backfill it or they share it amongst themselves? How does that typically work? Yeah, so I'll basically have one internet provider and then... They just split it evenly, the utility bills among themselves. That's the cleanest way to do it. I mean, you could argue that some people were there more often and not, but it's hard to actually calculate on a room basis. So to be fair to everyone, I always say it's split evenly, even when you're not at the house, even during winter break, you know, uh, you still have to uh, split those bills. Got it. Got it. So what is, I mean... It sounds like you're really aligned with the student rental cycle in terms of when they're coming in and out of school, but maybe you could talk about the leasing process and and the turnover and and how you set that up. Yeah, so, sorry, excuse me, I got something in my throat. Ah, All good. Yeah, so I basically um, do an individual lease for each um, tenant, and it's a 12-month lease. That's all I offer. So like during the summer when they're not there, they can always rent it out or sublease it out to another summer school student. And I can also help them find a summer school student as well. But usually they just bring in a friend and that works out just fine. Um, Some of the colleges I invest in, like the one of the pharmacy school actually go year round. So they actually go through summer. So most of the students actually do need it uh, year round. So yeah, I just do 12 month leases uh, minimum for all of my houses And because I have so much demand, they're okay with that because they're saving $600 a month anyways. So it just makes sense for them to do that. And a lot of them do actually use the house uh, during some of the summer months anyways. They might just go to stay there for a little bit and hang out with friends. So do you go do it July to June or or what? 
I would say summer school is like um, late May to end of July, mid-August time frame. Okay. Um, so it sounds like you might go directly to the school to find tenants or how have you set that up? Yeah, so I actually have this method called the PRIME method. Um, PRIME stands for finding prime high quality tenants. So P Love stands that. for placement of your ads. So you want to go basically where they're they're hanging out. Because if you put it an uh, ad where they're not hanging out, it's like fishing in an empty pond, which you don't want to do. So uh, I usually place ads on the campus bulletin boards or like Facebook groups. A lot of times, you know, I could rely on referrals nowadays. But um, at the beginning, it was just like Facebook housing groups, um, uh, Facebook club groups like Math Leads Club or something like that, right? Um, and then I'll just place my ads there and I would basically have very targeted tenants. The only people who contact me were basically students. Uh, R stands for reviewing social media. So after they contact me, I'll kind of look through their Facebook profile, see what kind of person they are. Um, do they have pictures of like smoking, drugs, alcohol, partying all night, all that type of stuff. And I'll try to avoid obviously that type of tenant. Um, <laughs> yeah. I stands for identifying the type of tenant. So is this person, um, when they communicate with me, are they difficult to communicate with? Do they get angry easily? Do they seem very needy? Those are the types of things I want. I ask myself when I bring in a tenant. And then M stands for measuring responsiveness. So the more responsive they are to you, meaning they get back to you very quickly on the application process, the more responsible they'll probably be as a tenant down the road. And then um, E stands for ensuring proof of income. So basically, you it's not the students who are paying the rent. It's usually the parents or they have student loans or financial aid. Um, and basically, I ask for those types of documents documents to provide that proof of income. And I've never had a non-paying tenant that I had to evict just simply because a parent's not going to stop paying rent for, you know, their kid who, who's staying, you know, at the college that they're trying to study at and risk that kid getting evicted or getting in trouble or something like that. Right. Yeah. So that's the prime oh. method. I, I, I love that. I love that you developed your own acronym. That was amazing and honestly the review of social media i think is huge and i think it's an overlooked aspect because i think people showcase their true qualities on social media most of the time oh yeah definitely um so i know it sounds like you're still working a few days a week as a pharmacist um are you self-managing this do you use any technology how does the day-to-day operations look yeah, that's a good question. So I have another acronym for like building your team. So you always want to have like a, a strong team behind you when you get started in real estate investing. And that's really going to allow you to leverage and scale your portfolio. Because if you're managing everything on your own, you're not going to be able to grow super big because you'll be like dealing with the day-to-day operations. So I rely on my team for this. Um, the acronym I use is allies. So you have to find out, find your allies during this journey, right? So A stands for your agent. So I have an agent who knows exactly what I'm looking for. I'm looking for like three bed, two bathroom houses that are at least 1500 square foot. So I can add that fourth and fifth bedroom and really increase the cash flow on that while still purchasing it at a lower purchase price because three bed, two baths are, you know, usually average price range or, or a little bit lower. Um, L stands for lender. So I kind of shop around to see different rates and different lenders. And I recommend looking at at least three different lenders to kind of compare rates and see if you're getting the best in terms of closing costs and interest rate. Um, L stands for your licensed contractors. So I recommend having both a general contractor with a you know GC license and a handyman 
um, available. So let's say, you know, your washer breaks down or your toilet leaks or something like that. You want a handyman to go in there and clean it up right away. But at the same time, you also want to have a general contractor for larger projects. Like for instance, like for me, it's like putting up those uh, bedroom walls to enclose and create an additional bedroom. And I use a general contractor for that. Or maybe I have to put in a new HVAC system or something like that. Um, obviously, we would negotiate with the seller to make some of the more larger repairs before we close on the house. But it's good to always have a general contractor. I stand for inhabitants or your tenants. And I put them as part of my team because they can help out a lot on your house. They can actually, if you empower them, they can get a lot of things done. And so I kind of have like a, a list of um, like house rules when they come in, kind of like Airbnb. But a lot of you know problems they can solve on their own. Like if the internet goes down, they can go ahead and call the internet provider themselves and troubleshoot it rather than me getting called and having to work as the middleman for them. So I, you know, empower my tenants to help out around the house. Um, the second E uh, stands for an expert accountant, expert tax accountant. So you always want to um, be able to deduct as much as you can from taxes. So I recommend everyone who's in real estate get an accountant because you'd be surprised how many taxes you can deduct. And I mean, you can even deduct vacation if you plan it correctly, right? Um, and then S stands for uh, supervisor. So some people hire out a property property management company. I personally found I could self-manage this um, because I have those other team members in place. 100%. So I think one of the big things that Frank harps on all the time is that real estate investing is a team sport. And I wholeheartedly believe that I've stolen that phrase and used it and reused it. So the fact that you developed the allies acronym, um, I just love all the acronyms. And I think yeah. uh, the analogy that I like, right. I, I liked um, the, uh, the, the P in uh, prime as well with the placement and not fishing in an empty pond. That's yeah. so true. I exactly. mean, yeah. It, and so the it, first thing I did when I got started is I, I put this for rent sign on my lawn and I put my number there. I should not have done that. I would get these random calls from people. They're like, Oh, this is on a by room basis. I thought it was for the whole house, you know? Oh yeah. I'm not, I'm just like a single mother and I have like this whole family that I have to bring in and things like that. And I'm like, no, not really. That's not what we're looking for. I mean, if you want to pay for the whole house, it's like 2,500 and they're like, what 2,500? Are you crazy? You know, or, or 3,000. <laughs> they're like, why would I pay that for the whole house? I'm like, well, that's what it is. If you want the whole house. So, right. you know, I basically didn't get the right type of tenants at the very beginning. No, honestly, you're in a great spot. So I know locally um, we had the opportunity to manage a property and they exclusively rented to the Brown University soccer team, female uh, women's soccer team, uh, which is interesting because they just rotate the kids in and out every single year or one might upgrade a bedroom or whatever else. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but I admire what you've been able to set up for I sure. I appreciate it. Because you've got a massive, or I, I consider a massive cash flow engine at this point. Um, and you have the opportunity to continue to grow it because you've got the hustle and, you know, you know, the hard work that it takes to get there. So respect. Yeah. And honestly, it really helps by keeping my job rather than going into this full time because, um, <clears throat> At the beginning, you when you're working your W-2 job, you get something called conventional financing. That's the best type of financing out there. It's much easier to get approved for a loan to build your portfolio. So a lot of real estate investors that I know actually kept their job while they built it up on the side. And Smart. then they eventually, once the cash flow covered all their expenses and everything, that's when they went ahead and quit because they reached that financial freedom mark. Got you.
Did, when you uh, studied for your pharmacy degree, did you use all these different acronyms and make make ideas in order to study for the test? I did actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, in school, I I even had like stories for to memorize the whole periodic table and, and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, awesome. it helps. Yeah, the mnemonics definitely help to make it sticky. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, figure out what works and then stick with it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Ryan, what's your biggest challenge right now with with real estate in your business? I would say right now I'm kind of just trying to get find lending because once they once you get to like five houses, it gets a little bit harder to get conventional financing. Um, but there's a couple of ways I'm going to probably do this. I want to take out a couple HELOCs, so I'm looking at local credit unions um, because a lot of times those people that can provide more like portfolio loans. They're a little bit more flexible with their lending practices versus people who have to uh, follow the Fannie Mae guidelines. So I'm looking into like portfolio lending. Um, I eventually will probably start like a limited partnership um, where I'm the general partner and then I take on investors as limited partners to basically scale my portfolio as well. So I'm just playing with a different uh, you know, tactics to get lending after the the sixth property. Are you owning these properties as an LLC now or in your own name? They're actually under a trust right now. So I put it under my name and then uh, when I first po- bought the properties and then I transferred it over to the trust because it's easier to get um, lending under your own name. Well, plus LLCs are expensive in California here too. Yeah, they're 800, 800, yeah. <laughs> Um, so one suggestion just to help you out on this is uh, we went with the um, the credit union route, but we looked for credit unions that had a, a commercial lending division. Oh, and okay. Even, even single families can have a commercial loan. Wow. For, that's so really For the cool. purpose you're doing it. And then once you get there, then once you do commercial, it doesn't matter how many units you're talking. You can, you can yeah. have, I had, at one point I had 17 mortgages. I don't know how many I have right now, but because <laughs> I don't gotcha. pay most of them. They just get paid from other people and stuff. But. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The other thing I was thinking of maybe doing is like consolidating my houses into one like blanket loan or something like that to go ahead and buy, you know, get more mortgages on the other ones, but we'll see. We'll see. Honestly, as long as you're in it for the long term, then that that could make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, the portfolio lender route, like Frank, like you guys are both talking about the credit unions, mm-hmm. um, it becomes relationship lending, right? Where yeah. I bet you know, Frank has a relationship with Webster Bank. I'm pretty sure if Frank called Webster, they'd say, yeah, where do we route the funds, right? <laughs> and and that's, that's how cool it gets. Right. Um, I mean, we have a relationship with a, a local lender um, and we had a client. Uh, that had a little bit of a hit in income due to COVID. Um, he was an, he's an, he is an entertainer. And um, uh, I was able to send an email and describe, hey, listen, the appraiser came in below value. Many of our top clients leverage you guys for loans. We have a well-established relationship. But by the way, this is a really strong income-producing property. Give us six months. You're going to see the pickup of the P&L. This is definitely a deal that you guys should fund. And they ended up funding it because they were in between. Wow. Um, oh, that's crazy. Versus, you know, you go to a traditional mortgage broker or a lender, and if you don't check every box perfectly, like, hey, yeah. see ya, good luck. They're like, right? yep, sorry, that's um, our rule. <laughs> but on this particular deal that we talked, uh, that we spoke with our portfolio lender, um, the average rent was just below $900 a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, one unit was vacant. It was a four unit. So one unit was vacant at purchase. Um, we were able to place a tenant at 1600 per month and we were able to increase all the other units at, to 1400 a month nobody moved wow um and the bank appraised i thought we could only get 1200 per unit 
<laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, yeah. But honestly, it's like you said, it's, it's knowing your marketing, knowing what you can achieve for rent. So you know that when you purchase a single family house, you can get X amount per bedroom based on the amenities in the house. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if anybody's going to take anything from, from this part of the conversation, it's work with a portfolio lender and then know your farming area, right? You got to know your rents. You got to know the style of building and what it's going to generate. Yeah, exactly. And once you find an area that has a very great return on your investment, I recommend instead of just like finding the next hot area, just buy a couple more in that area, because if it's working already, why, you know, go search somewhere else, might as well scale and copy, you just have to do the exact same thing, the same process that you did on the very first rental, and just repeat it, the same area, everything's the same. So it makes it a lot easier. And it's easy because you already filled out the, you already, you already figured out the hard work, right? Mm-hmm. That, that first one is the toughest deal. The rest, it's good. I mean, they're going to be different challenges. Exactly. But the basic foundation is the easiest part after the first deal. Yeah. And plus you already have your team in that area too. That's another thing to consider. So you might I love that you keep going back to uh, more, you know, <laughs> a bigger job, right? <laughs> yes. Um, What's easier for you right now? The supply side or the demand side? I mean, the properties or the number of students? I'm going to assume the number of students that need more and more housing, but I'm just wondering. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's so much demand for my properties right now. Like I get people contacting me throughout the year saying, hey, I know you have uh, rentals near the school. I'm interested in staying at your property. And I'm turning a lot of people down because I'm like, we're booked until August of 2022. But after that, you can go ahead and uh, stay at the properties. But yeah, at the point where you reach a certain scale, like I have 29 tenants, for instance, each of those 29 tenants has like another three friends, right? So like if you take 30 times three, that's like 90 people who are might be interested in staying at your rentals. So nowadays I just um, fill all my bedrooms just by referrals. That's super important. I think that's where the, the student rental game is different than the traditional rental game slightly. I feel that students, if you provide them a quality experience, they're going to be more likely to refer, refer to you. Not that, you know, more of your traditional renter isn't, but I feel like it's an easier handoff. Yeah, exactly. And I even have some students that are like, yeah, can I bring my friend in and we could stay in, in the, the master bedroom together or whatever. And I have couples as well. And so I charge them a little bit more for that. But yeah, I mean, they're like, yeah, this was a great place to stay. I want to bring in my friend and, you know, might as well. And also in college, it's probably pretty baller to go to like a five six bedroom <laughs> single family and then walking into a dorm room too right yeah exactly exactly jimmy uh on that duplex that i have that you manage over near pc after i got that first guy i never had to look for another tenant again he yes, was happy just... to fill all the rooms whenever there's a vacancy they're always wanting to fill them yeah, yeah uh, exactly i have back-to-back leases for all my um tenants i at max, I might have a one week vacancy just to make sure I can clean it up and everything. But that's only if I, I have to ask for it, you know, Got say, it. oh, can you move in a little bit later because we're redoing the flooring or something like that. But for, yeah, for the most part, it's basically back to back. They'll move in the next day or the, like two days later or something like this. Yeah. Ryan, what, what are you seeing for a price of a single family in, the, in that main market that you're focused in? What's, what's yeah, in Stockton, it's around, I would say, mid 300,000s, maybe high 300,000s, low 400,000s, depending on the size of the property. Um, for Sacramento, it's in the 500,000s right now. So everything has appreciated like crazy, but rents have also gone up. So it, it 
it, you know, it, this is a very strong cash flowing model. So if I pay, you know, I paid about three fifteen thousand for most of my uh, properties and my rental income because I can put it in five or six bedrooms is around thirty four hundred. Or thirty-two hundred. Jimmy hates talking about the one percent rule, but I, I I like to use. Oh it. Yeah. yeah, you know what though, it works here because you're pulling utilities out of the equation. Yes. Think yeah, think about it. Yep. So yeah, yeah. And the other thing the is because time. I'm in California, the prices here appreciate like crazy. Like I've literally had my houses on average gone up a hundred thousand per year. So after the course of uh, five uh, six years, I've gained almost six hundred like. 580 or 600 thousand dollars just in appreciation on my houses and that's you know my money essentially right and i could always take it out using the heloc or cash out refinance or if i sell one to pay off the others you know so i have a lot of options uh just with that appreciation that built up on those properties what's what's the level of rehab at entry is it, are you just buying turnkey single families and moving folks in and maybe like putting a bed in there and they bring their own sheets or what is, what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. Actually for that one, I also have a acronym if you guys want another no, I, I don't this. know if you're yeah, 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 yeah. the readers, but um, <clears throat> it's like, okay. So the acronym I use is rental. Um, so R is uh, replacing the flooring. Uh, so basically it's turning your regular single family home into a rental. Um, so R is replacing flooring. So I do a lot of like vinyl plank flooring uh, whenever yeah. the carpet's like really dirty and needs to be replaced. Right. Um, and vinyl plank is moisture resistant. It also lasts a long time. It's pretty much like kind of a tenant proof uh, way to, uh, you know, put in your new flooring. Um, e stands for enclosures. So by that, I mean putting in those extra bedrooms because every time I can put in an extra bedroom or repurpose an existing like family room into a bedroom, that adds a whole bunch of cash flow like we talked about. N stands for new paint. Um, any, you know, peeling or old paint, I'll go ahead and repaint it. Um, T stands for toilet. So like bathrooms, if it's a half bath, I'll convert it into a full bath by adding a shower usually, or I might like replace the vanity with a new vanity or something like this to add value to the house. A stands for amenities. So things like furniture, appliances, I'll make sure that the place is fully furnished because um, it actually adds value to the house and I can charge a little bit higher rent because I can put in that furniture. Plus it's all tax deductible as well. So it's like moving ready for tenants. And, you know, it's, it's a huge plus that they don't have to bring in their own beds and move back and forth and things like that. And then L stands for uh, lawn or landscaping. So some things I do is I take out the grass and I'll put in bark to make it a little bit more, um, you know, your bills are kind of cut down. It cuts down on your bills overall. So you're decreasing your operating costs. Exactly. Yeah. So Frank, Frank's throwing shade at me for the 1% rule, but here it is, right? This face level sounds like the 1% rule, but when you pull out the utilities and you pull out the operating costs. Yes. So that's why I always say, you know, have some, some money set aside for CapEx. And usually also buy in areas that have a pretty good appreciation history. Um, you know, I, I buy right next to the college town and generally those areas appreciate like crazy. But I also um, teach clients this model and they, they invest in their like um, government buildings and get in government workers or, you know, tech workers, um, high income job workers uh, or, or near hospitals as well, uh, mm-hmm. where you can get medical workers. So this model kind of works everywhere you you don't necessarily have to choose college tenants but for me uh, the college tenants just seem to be the best tenants 
for sure. And I like working with them. Good stuff. I was just thinking about how um, every market's different. So like in our area, if someone turned grass into bark, there'd be more of a, a negativity about it. But you know, every though, market's like different. It. The lead oh, I like it. Appreciate that. Yeah, the lead inspectors <laughs> would definitely appreciate. It. We, uh, Ryan, in our in our market, we have a lot older housing. Oh yeah. You know, our average house is probably around nineteen twenty or so. So. Oh geez, yeah, I have stories about that too. I had a hundred year old house that had a sewage line break, and I got oh. this call saying like there's sewage all over the kitchen floor, and it's backing out of the showers, and it smells horrid. Oh right? my god. So, yeah, it's just like an old house, and I had to replace the whole line. It cost me 9000 So, yeah, make sure you do your due diligence. I try to stay away from older houses if I can, but sometimes, you know, the area, just everything is old, like San Francisco, for instance, or your area, right? So yeah. uh, I it, sometimes it's unavoidable, but well, that's you where said. you, you know, do your due diligence. Uh, make sure you inspect everything, especially the sewage line, um, to make sure everything's kind of up to date. You can only do so much due diligence, but I agree with you. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's a risk to investing, but it sounds like that. Uh, I know we've done pretty well, and it sounds like you've done pretty well on that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. All right, so let's ask the questions that we always ask everybody that comes on the show. Uh, the first one would be: if someone wants to become a better investor, what would you recommend? I would say, uh, as an investor in general, you have to be okay with risking and losing money. You have to realize that um, the goal isn't to not lose money. The goal is to mitigate your risk, to minimize your losses and increase your gains, right? So this model, it maximizes the potential because you have all these different bedrooms that you're going to rent out. So eventually you're going to, of course, make a lot of cash flow no, no matter what. But during the first year, you could have what I had where I had a sewage line breakdown on me and I had to shell out $9,000. So the first year it wasn't as profitable, but over time, because I bought, bought it and held onto it and I was in it for the long run. That's another thing, be in it for the long game. Um, sure. You know, it was, you know, appreciated. Like I said, you know, on average, all my houses appreciate about a hundred thousand a year per year. And I got that cash flow on a monthly basis, you know, a thousand to fifteen hundred to on my larger houses like two thousand dollars in cash flow. What well, it's funny you say that per because we have a we have a lot of people that often think that they're gonna start making generating massive cash day one. And it's like <laughs> exactly you, you, you can't plan for that. What you have to do is if you start to generate anything those first couple months, you're gonna probably put that back into the property. Exactly. You know, yeah that's why it's so important not to spend right away. Be very frugal at the very beginning, especially. And um, just there's just something called the profit first model. I think it's written by Mike McCallowitz or whatever, but it's really my important to Frank see Frank roll in his head. I love Michael McCallowitz. Yeah, no, that's yeah. not why I roll my head. It's, on, it's based on our next question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fair enough. All right. But yeah, basically it's very important to put that uh, profit aside and, you know, you're going to be potentially taxed on that money. In real estate, you're not taxed, actually, most times. But, um, you know, just as a general investor, you need to um, do, do that type of, you know, set that profit aside and don't touch it at the very beginning. What was the name of that book again? Uh, it's called Profit First. Okay. So um, you can use that book or if you have another one you want to mention. The second question is, what's one book that you've read that you consider a must read? I would say Millionaire Real Estate Investor. By Gary Keller. 
if you want to get into real estate investing, I think that's a great book because it kind of, it goes into like how you want to also build your teams because it, like you mentioned, it's a team sport, right? And the mindset that goes behind building a multiple six figure or a million dollar uh, real estate portfolio. Definitely. Uh, last question. Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And what that means is five or 10 years from now, where do you see your business? Yeah. So to be honest, I, one reason why I got into real estate was not just to get financial freedom, you know, be able to do what I want, where I want, when I went, but also I wanted to make a larger impact on the world. And for that, you, it's helpful to have, you know, money because you can donate to charitable causes. Um, For me, I actually had this life-threatening anaphylactic reaction when I was two years old to uh, cashews and peanuts. And so what my mom had to do was give me an EpiPen so I could live essentially. Um, And I always since then wanted to, I mean, not when I was super young, but like, you know, as I was, you know, my teenage years and all that, I always had these like allergic reactions to peanuts. So ever since, you know, I had that, I always wanted to create this medical research company that uh, looks into finding a cure for allergies. So uh, either I know Stanford is doing some research, so I, you know, could donate money there, but um, I wanted to eventually start a, a company that actually makes that you know, large impact, because I think it's a big issue. Um, And so, you know, basically, once you have that financial freedom, you can uh, choose where you want to bring your life, right? You want to, if you want to do be bigger, have a bigger life, um, you know, be be more impactful on the world, you can choose that um, versus if you're stuck working at your job to pay your bills, and to cover, you know, your family expenses, it's it's going to be very hard to get out of that what some people call a rat race, right? Some people end up, most people actually end up working until they're 55, 65, um, before they can retire. And uh, sometimes they like what they do. Sometimes they don't like what they do. For me, I love what I do as a pharmacist and helping other people. But I always wanted to make a even more a larger impact other than just my pharmacy job. Ryan, I got chills when you talked about your passion project there. You know, <laughs> Thank just, you. I appreciate it. it no, it's a massive, powerful thing. So no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right, I think it's important to have a strong purpose in life that, you know, gets you up in the morning, right? Definitely. definitely. <clears throat> we appreciate you making it through the fire around there. Um, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, what is the best way to contact you? Yeah, so I provide a free PDF guide for anybody who's interested in getting into the student housing uh, rental market or just getting started in real estate investing. It's at www.newbierealestateinvesting.com slash guide. That's www.newbierealestateinvesting.com slash guide. And newbie is spelled N-E-W-B-I-E. I also have a weekly newsletter where I basically go through all the obstacles that I encountered and how I solved them. And then the mindset that I kind of had to create um, for real estate investing and a lot of like quick tips for you guys as well. So if you're interested in that, again, go to that link and you'll, you'll get that newsletter. Love that. Love that. So guys, good free content there. Feel free to check it out. I think you'll learn a ton from Ryan. Ryan, it's been a blast having you on the show. Um, we hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Cashflow Kings podcast. In between podcasts, check out our website, thecashflowkings.com, or give us a follow on Instagram where we post daily content under the handle The Cashflow Kings. Cheers to your success. The Cashflow right, Kings. Thanks again, guys. I appreciate no you having me on the podcast. No doubt.
No problem. Uh, so the Cashflow Kings programs for basic entertainment purposes only. We do not give official legal, tax, or investment advice.